Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Our latest episode of Soundtracking in association with The White Company comes off the back of a very special day I spent at Abbey Road Studios as the score for J.K. Rowling's Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald was being recorded. It was, I have to say, a truly magical experience and one I don't think I'll ever forget. I was there as the guest of director David Yates and producer David Heyman, both of whom joined me this week to discuss what I heard and saw and how James Newton Howard's stunning compositions complement the action on screen. Plenty more on that shortly, but first, a quick word about our friends at The White Company who are on hand to help make your Christmas shopping less stressful. Now, there are some people in my family that are quite easy to buy for, I have to say, and some little bit more tricky. So I love the idea of having somewhere that I can buy gifts for everyone. And the White Company is just such a place. Perhaps a scarf or gloves for my dad, stylish soft furnishings for mum or lovely books and soft toys for my nieces. You might prefer gift boxes for friends or a gift card or e-card for colleagues. It's all available from the White Company. The other great thing is their premium gift box service, which means none of that dreaded Christmas Eve wrapping. You'll then get to spend more quality time with friends and family. What is not to love about that? Find out more about why they are the gifting destination at thewhitecompany.com or pop into one of their stores. And so to James Newton Howard's score for The Crimes of Grindelwald, which we'll be weaving in and out of the conversation with the two Davids, starting with this cue, the Kelpie. David Heyman and David Yates, it's lovely to have you both together on the podcast. Yeah, we love yeah. being together. Thank We've you. done. I've done you individually. Yeah. Um, so bringing you together yep. for this well, world. Finally. <laughs> and I have a massive thank you to say before we kind of start because I was so very lucky and honoured to get the chance to come down to Abbey Road um, for a day and. I mean, I got my Christmas early this year, to be honest, because that was a wonderful and a spectacular opportunity just to kind of get a glimpse of that. Yeah. That was pretty special. Thank you. With the wonderful James Newton oh. Howard, a glorious human being, and his team. Yeah. He's been with that team for how many movies is it now? About 76 movies or something <laughs> insane. He's, they've, they've, they, they move together like a band of brothers. It's just, and he's so generous, and uh, and he was, he's been working on that score. He'd been working on that score since January. Mm. So can you? And we, yeah, that's a phenomenal amount of work he did for us. And it's quite a unique thing as well, isn't it, for that length of time for someone yeah. to be involved in a, a project. For someone at his level, yeah. normally those big, fancy Hollywood composers <laughs> will come in for a few brief months, 
and then they'll fly on to the next one and then the next one and the next one. But James is a sweetheart and he's so committed to these films and these stories mm. that he, he actually give us, he gives us that time. It's so great to go to uh, Abbey Road, isn't it? I mean, the home of the Beatles. It's incredibly humbling. Mm. It's incredibly exciting. And you sit in that studio and you look out and you see an orchestra of a hundred plus people playing music <laughs> for the film that you produced and directed. It gives every time I'm there, it gives me goosebumps. Yeah, it's the best bit. It's one of well, one of the best bits of our process. Yeah, it's a physical thing that it does to you so yeah. I was lucky enough to sit in, in the booth with you all and just kind of hear those conversations I'll talk about in a second but then to be on the little balcony with this 200 piece orchestra and and it do something to me physically yeah. you know kind of almost each different musical section be it the horns or be it the strings or the harps as well it's just kind of like it really like it's a physical thing that's the thing about music though isn't it it <laughs> sort of moves bits of you <laughs> that um, no other art form can quite touch I guess and there is something particularly about some of James's music which um, he just captured something in a few of those cues a lot of those cues actually
and Abbey Road is like a church in a way and the people outside as well who queue up you have to sort of weave your way through all the all these sort of people who are coming to pay homage to this wonderful space and this you know the Beatles and the history of the studio and they're walking across the zebra crossing yeah, I'm surprised there are more accidents because people uh, are walking I across that zebra actually accident. I think every year there are some people taken to casualty. I'm, who was telling me? Martin, my driver or someone, was saying, no, every year there's at least three or four people taken because a car runs into someone. Doing the Beatles walk. Yeah, exactly. How often does he have to whitewash that wall outside as well? It's oh, like no, every two weeks or something, yeah. isn't it? It's powerful stuff. Um, what was really amazing for me was sitting in the control booth and hearing the 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 journey of the conversation that was being had from... So you were watching one particular cue yeah. and it was violins and it was kind of... I really remember it. And you were, you were very specific about the emotion that mm -hmm. you wanted it to convey. Mm -hmm. And for it to convey that emotion, it needed to be imperfect almost. Mm -hmm. So you conveyed this to James, who then went on his little you know, talk back to, the, to then conveyed it to his conductor, who then conveyed it to the orchestra and it was this wonderful language that changed with each conversation yeah. until it resonated with everybody to the point where okay yeah I know what I'm doing and then they did it and it was exactly what you asked for it's, uh, it's like magic <laughs> it is amazing so I, I'll get a sketch from James which he creates so he'll write the music and I'll, I'll share it with David and we'll have a listen to it mm. And when I first hear that sketch, and, and a pr I'll give notes uh, initially. This is way before we get to Abbey Road. So it's, it's way in advance, and we'll do various iterations. So I'll say to James, look, it feels a bit too... Uh, I'm not sure it's quite telling the right story, is the mm. usual note. I, I think we need to... I think it needs to be expressing something slightly different. So anyway, we'll finally get to a version of the piece which just feels absolutely right, and James will have created something that says, tells the story in a really interesting way. Then we get to the studio, and as you witnessed on that morning, when the orchestra play it for the first or second time, they might actually be missing some of the intent through interpretation, or the conductor's mm. taking them in a slightly different direction, or the arrangement on paper has sort of emphasised the wrong vibe slightly. And what's interesting about that piece that you're describing is when I first heard it, what struck me was a, there was a sort of wildness about it and a sort of itchy out of control quality that was quite frightening it was almost like um, the music was having a nervous breakdown it was wonderfully chaotic and weird and out of control you know it reminded me of yeah. horses neighing yeah. Yeah, like yeah 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 like yeah a group of horses yeah neighing, you're right all out of time. yeah slightly all out of yeah. time and inevitably the arranger comes in and he tidies it up a bit <laughs> and then the the, the musicians want to want to be so on note all the time and some of that sort of anarchy and chaos got lost and therefore the emotion and the sort of weirdness of it mm -hmm. got lost so it was just dialing back some of that really
and some pieces sail through without having to be noted but it's almost a part of the process and the journey that you have to sometimes recapture some of the essence of what you originally felt James has created and he's wonderfully collaborative like that he's really open to having notes and I, the last thing I want to do when I get to Abbey Road is give any more bloody notes because <laughs> I've spent two years the pair of us you know the movie making is about giving notes to the actors to the technicians to the DOP to the bloody visual to effects the to the puppeteers to the director <laughs> thank you David do you get notes David uh, what? do you get notes uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, but no more notes, please. But so it's the last. You never say that. Stage note. You're good about no, that. No, I like you, notes. You like notes. I think notes are good. I think one of the, you know, just hearing you talk about that process of the music, it's really sort of the director's role with everybody because everybody has their own view, mm -hmm. you know, of the film. And the costume department often sees it only from the costume department, the production side, only from the production side. And one of the things that David does so brilliantly in the most supportive way is brings everybody around to this, his or Joe's or the singular vision, taking bits, allowing everybody to bring their own point of view, yeah. but shaping it so that it's telling the story, which is what you saw in that control room, telling the story that the scene or the sequence, or the film is telling. how much the music is part of the narrative in, in these films particularly and that um, you know after I was there for the day it was very much kind of mm. please don't share anything you've heard of the music to anyone to give anything away because it is part of people can not tell what's going on in the story from the music but the music is very much accompanying the mm. story as it mm. goes along mm. so it is telling part of the story would you agree? Very much so, very much so. It's so evocative what yeah. James does. Yeah. And I also think that it, 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 it's a balance with music because you don't want the music to repeat what you're singing. Yeah. It's mm. got to augment or be in counterpoint or, yeah. Yeah, or, 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 or it's not doing exactly what the images are because yeah. otherwise you don't, then you don't need the music. Mm -hmm. So it's a really interesting dialogue that between yeah. the music and the image or the music and the words. And then, of course, the mixing of that music with, all, with the dialogue and the effects and the balance that it's given within any scene. I've seen the film and I and I know how 
it mean how much it means to me to not be told in advance anything about it. Do you know what I mean? It's really special to experience it. Yeah. And so I'm really cautious about saying too much in our chat for people who might be listening to this who still haven't seen it. Sure. So I really don't want to kind of spoil it for them in any way, shape or form. But I want to talk a little bit about working on the number of Potter films and they're obviously being characters in this world that we know from Potter who were going back in time so Dumbledore is an example so with the Harry Potter films there's obviously existing themes and music and tones and kind of musicality around his character did you consider that do you have discussions with James at all in that way about what we've heard from Dumbledore in the future with these kind of themes do we incorporate that or do we not at all? We're very keen to try and break a new stride, <laughs> exactly. fundamentally. Yeah. yeah, we try to... In fact, James is so... The, the one moment, the, there are two nods to Potter, in the, at least musically, and that's the first moment we fly over the mountains and see Hogwarts. And Spiking obviously, yeah, it's, and it's, it's, it's kind of like you have to play Hedwig's theme. But James, bless him, still said, well, David, I know you really want to use Hedwig's theme, but I've also written this piece as well, which is from FB, a sort of iteration of a piece he wrote for FB1, but then developed for FB2. It was beautiful, by the way, and really evocative. But I said, James, you know what? It's got to be Hedwig, because that's what we associate with the school. And But we recorded both. Um, just so we had both and and he was so gracious and he said I know you're going to use Hedwig aren't you <laughs> I said yes I'm going to use Hedwig um, and the other one is just the tinkle over the WB we always do that thing where we just remind people this is Potter-esque and it's mm-hmm. part of the world but beyond that honestly it's it's really it's James's stage to um, to sort of create an identity that is much I mean but, but the fact is it's a full orchestral symphonic score so we're, we're using a similar grammar um, but what I love about James is he also he's he's willing to experiment and try odd and interesting things which I I'm excited by and I'm always encouraging him to do that yeah I'm always saying come on let's try something here that it might be a little bit more sound designy to balance with that symphonic classicism
also I wanted to ask you about when you, you know, you, for the first film, and there were some wonderful themes, Jacob's theme is, is one we talked mm -hmm. about previously as well, which was just perfect for that character and told you so much about his personality and who he was. And then when you're taking that character into to the second film and, and exploring new themes or adjusting themes and also new characters, and, and there are so many people in this film. There are yes. so many characters, but allowing them their own sound. That was the big challenge, actually. There are so many different strands and so many different characters, and um, and the standout for me is when, when he does score those individual characters. Jacob seems absolutely delightful when it comes back when Queenie's leaving, and that's lovely. If anything, I think ultimately, because there are so many things going on in the story, we never stay with one key idea for long enough. Mm. You know, and I think when we look back at these movies in years to come, mm -hmm. each one will be its own thing. And we've learned a lot making this movie, I think. Um, and we're proud of many things in it, really proud of it. But the sort of, it's overstuffed with things, I think, in a good way and, you know, in many good ways. But I think James's music, in some ways, is it, it really helped. One oh, of the things yeah. it does is it's a unifying element. Mm -hmm. In Without spite question. of the fact there are all these themes, he's found a way to to tie it all together to make it a whole, mm -hmm. which is really a mark of an astonishing composer. Cleverness. I think his score is amazingly supportive to the kind of complexity of the story. I mean, that's what he does on this one. He sort of gives it a lot of colour and a lot of texture. And, and I love Lita's theme. I think Lita's theme, when she's running through Hogwarts, um, or when Zoe's going into the French Ministry of Magic, and this soaring melody that he's created for Lita is really beautiful. Does he have the next script yet? <coughs> I haven't shared it with him yet. I, thought I like how you have to, <laughs> even, even at the sheer mention of, you have to clear your throat. And go, okay, uh, um, channel concentration. Do you know what? I, I tell you what it is. I, I, I think he, he needs a bit of time off because he works so hard. Mm. I mean, when I when I locked the picture onto 
10 minutes later, Joe sent me the script for three. And it was like, thanks, Joe, I've had 10 minutes off. Um, so f so I, I thought, I'll, but I am going to share it with him early. And it'll be ready to share maybe in the new year, I think. And that still gives him, let's face it, a couple of years. Good time to do something Yeah, exactly. I really hope you release the, the score on vinyl because I, I kind of really look forward to having the opportunity to... My kids have just really gotten into the whole portal. My five-year-old, since Halloween, has insisted on having a scar painted on his head every day. Every day. Nothing else, just the scar. It's hilarious. Um, but to sit down at Christmas and have the score on would be just the most wonderful thing because it's such, you know, as a standalone thing, I think it's absolutely stunning and yeah. beautiful. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah. a story. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, I haven't had the opportunity to, to listen to the whole score apart from being involved in the making yeah. of the movie. And that's, that's something I'm going to do, I think, maybe. I get a little distance from this whole process of releasing the movie, getting it out into yeah. the world. But to sit down and have a have a have a review would be great because I'm still right in the furnace of it, really. do you get involved with the music with with, with this this film for example at what point did you start having discussions with David and James as well and I think I think David generally puts a very rough version on scenes and yeah. on uh, you know and and respond to that you know on the first film because it was James's introduction to this world it was I was probably involved a little earlier yeah. in the genesis but this one it was more developed and you know David and James spent a lot of time together David showing James you know very rough versions of scenes and beginning the journey and I on this film probably responded a little bit later when they were in you know, scene when, when there was already a rough yeah. very very rough version on you know, individual scenes or on on a cut I have to mention the cast as well in this because they are phenomenal and I think Jude Law as Dumbledore is just the most perfect piece of casting. It's just that cheekiness and that, yeah. it's just, it's so brilliant to watch. It really, really is. So congratulations on that side as well. Yeah, he, uh, Jude's lovely. He was quite nervous as well, you know, mm. coming in. It was yeah. like, I thought, Jude, brilliant actor. And actually, so was Johnny, actually, playing Grindelwald. You kind of assume that these guys Both come in. And, yeah. yeah, I mean, just... But, you know, the first day on set, and you kind of go, you okay, mate? It's going to be so much fun. You're going to be so great. Really? Yeah, you're going to be great. <laughs> I love like, the fact that you have to tell you'd launch Johnny Depp that. Oh, mate. Oh, it just... Well, I was nervous my first day on set. And actually, for every new actor coming into this process, it's a huge world yeah. to come into. So yeah. it's quite intimidating. That's the first thing. But two, you're playing Dumbledore. 
you know, and but it literally it just takes a day or two for you know for Jude or for Johnny to settle in. You know, it's a lovely floor. Everybody's very welcoming, yeah. and and then they fit right in, and it was and they were away. You can see they're having a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it just Good. jumps off the screen. Good, yeah. 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 What I love about Jude is he made the part his own. You know, he yeah. wasn't imitating yeah. Michael exactly. or mm -hmm. Richard. He was making it his own, and yet there are little connections to the later Dumbledore. But it was very important for Joe, I think, that this isn't the Dumbledore we find in the Harry Potter mm -hmm. books and films. This is Dumbledore 70 years prior, and he's not fully formed, and he's still working through the demons, um, in particular uh, as a result of the relationship yeah. with Grindelwald. And then we have three, four, five to look forward to, which I'm not going to ask you about. Um, <laughs> what I quickly want to ask you about, though, is yeah. last time we spoke, you said you hadn't seen La La Land yet. Yes. And you talked about you really wanted to make uh, do a musical. A Just contemporary. before La La Land came out, I know. Great time. <laughs> that was so, you were so, you were so kind. I said, I really want to make a musical. And you were, oh, oh, have you not seen La La Land? No, I love La La Land. You still should. I mean, just because there's... A oh, yeah, God, yeah, I would. I would love to. And I, I like the idea of just this sort of really contemporary... Anyway, yes, I would still love to make a musical. M musicals really are back in a, yeah. such a big way, aren't they? I mean, yeah, this a, year you've actually got... Actually, we could put some songs in three. I know. In fact, <laughs> oh, in fact you know. Dumbledore, Dumbledore, we um, could have an all-singing, all-dancing Dumbledore. I love that. I mean, actually, though, Joe did say... When I did propose that once in a moment of madness, yeah. I didn't actually propose it, but Joe said, I hate musicals. So I don't think oh, that's going to really? happen. Um, the fact yes, that I'm you've turned sure. down people like Springsteen in the past for songs yeah. to be in that water and yeah. stuff is kind I of That like wasn't really Joe who turned down Springsteen, oh, no, no. in yeah, fairness no. to Joe. Yeah. No, um, that was a decision that was made ultimately after some discussion but with, uh, with Chris, uh, who just felt that it what didn't feel yeah. right. Because actually, uh, Bruce Springsteen, who we, and for Chris, it was an incredibly hard thing because he worshipped Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. It just didn't feel organic or true. It took you out of the time. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Let's make a musical, David. Yeah, Come sold. On. Okay, done. Done. All right, you saw it here. Yeah, it's out there, everyone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's ideas? after Fantastic Beasts. What three, four, and five? See you in two years, if not before, <laughs> yeah. for the next one. Yes. Listen, congratulations on this. I really had a wonderful experience watching it, and it makes Great. me really excited to see what's next as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank, thank you so much. Thank, thank you so, so much. much.
From the score to The Crimes of Grindelwald, that's Dumbledore's theme for piano by James Newton Howard. Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with director David Yates and producer David Heyman. My huge thanks to the two Davids for speaking to me for a second time. You can find my individual conversations with them via edithbowman.com or your preferred podcast platform. Also, huge thanks to everybody down at Abbey Road Studios for making me feel very, very welcome, including James Newton Howard and his incredible orchestra. Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald is on general release around the world with James's score available from our good friends at Water Tower Music. Now, before we go, you might have heard us talk last week about an exciting new partnership we have with legendary guitar makers Fender to celebrate the launch of their Player Series, a brand new line of electric guitars and basses. Now, this could be the perfect opportunity to take your guitar playing to the next level. The Player Series is a range that has the signature sound and classic look of Fender, but with new technology, features and colours to handle any style of music. And the best news... Well, you can win your choice of a Fender Player Series guitar or bass just by being a soundtracking listener. All you've got to do is tell us your favourite piece of music in a film that features a guitar. Now, it could be something as blatant as Spinal Tap, as suggested by Lancelot Patterson on Twitter, or perhaps something a little more score-based, such as Ennio Morricone's main theme from A Fistful of Dollars. Ultimately, it's totally up to you, so get thinking you could be the proud owner of a new guitar or bass from the Fender Player series. To enter, simply email us your suggestion to fender at audioboom.com. That's fender at audioboom.com. And to find out more, head to audioboom.com forward slash about forward slash competitions, where you'll also find all the T's and C's. Now, to celebrate the winning entries, we will be releasing the Fender Player Series in association with Soundtracking Special on the 12th of December, where myself and some music specialists will be discussing your entries. So get thinking, send us your suggestions to Fender at audioboom.com. Fender Player Series, often imitated, never duplicated. Next up then, another David and another David who's returning for his second visit here on Soundtracking, Scottish writer and director David McKenzie to talk about his new film, Outlaw King. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Mm-hmm.